0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into to Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my pals, Evan Grant and David Moore. Happy New Year, fellas.
1: Happy New Year to both of you.
0: I'll reserve judgment on that.
1: <laughs> wow. It's we're, we're not even 48 hours into the new year, and you're already bringing it down. It it's gonna come down quickly enough. You don't have to accelerate. The I,
2: it's always down in my world. No, it was a great <laughs> New Year's. I was uh, I was in a cabin in the woods, so I was away from people and alcohol, and it all turned out just fine. A cabin
1: in the woods. Were you in a horror movie? A dry cabin. I, what?
2: I, I was. It was. Uh, it was in. It was Broken Bow. So we had a Broken Bow experience. We took the dogs and went to Broken Bow and sat in the woods. Um, Got in the hot tub, and I was concerned if I saw any like little beady eyes staring at us from the woods. I was afraid that we'd see Sasquatch, but all seemed to go, all seemed to go okay. We made it through the woods. Um,
1: did the dogs at least have some alcohol?
2: The dogs did. The dogs drank a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Gina drank some alcohol because she has to to put up with me. But I'm I mostly read. I, I it's hard for me to read books during the baseball season. Um, and but so getting time to actually go back to read was was fun and relaxing and good to disconnect.
0: Nice, Very Kevin. Nice. What did you do
2: for New Year's?
0: Well, Evan, uh, I was here in New Orleans, uh, which um, you know I've never been in uh, New Orleans for New Year's. I would think that's close to being what it's like for Mardi Gras, um, maybe not close. Uh, I didn't really get a, a big, uh, uh, taste of that. We did go down for something on, uh, uh, New Year's Eve. There was a, they had a little function down in the quarter and walking back from that, you know, you kind of walking through a lot of craziness, you know, uh, I, I love new Orleans, you know, and especially the quarter it's, it's just like a, uh, you know, another country, I don't know of another city in the U S that has that
1: feel. It is know? another country.
0: Yeah, it is. Oh, well, you
1: know, you're down there.
0: That's 300 years old, all that, that area down there. And and it's just uh, kind of amazing. Yeah, but we
2: treat it know. like a spittoon. It's 300 years old, yeah. but we treat it like a spittoon. I I will never forget the um, my first trip to New Orleans for a sugar bowl when I walked out of the hotel at like 10 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Day. And there were people passed out on the sidewalk. Uh, by the Marriott there leading into the French Quarter on, on both sides of the road and as well in the median, is, I think, also. Um, it's just, even for a guy who really likes Jimmy Buffett,
0: the, 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 it's too much for me. The food's yeah. great, and if food's you can great. stay away from it's the crowds. Pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I, I just soon come to New Orleans another time when it's not quite so uh, active, let's say um but then the, the worst part of all this for me was that uh on, yeah, you're kind of burying the lead here uh, burying the lead here 5 40 a.m of the 30th stayed up i stayed up until four o'clock in the morning waiting for this to happen and finally dozed off uh but we had our second grandchild uh jake our oldest um he has three-year-old harper will be three years old on the 20th of this month and now we have miles atticus uh uh, seven pounds, eight ounces, twenty inches long, and as the nurse reportedly said, a big old head. Uh, so,
1: pretty Atticus amazing. is a great name.
0: It is. That's uh, that's they they took the the middle my middle name Miles, uh, and then Ford Atticus, uh, uh, Jake's brother. Uh, they took his middle name. So. As he put it, uh, it was the middle. They wanted to honor people while they were still alive, and I thought that was very nice of them to do that. Uh, so.
1: Did you tell him thanks for getting me in just under the gun? Just under the wire. That's exactly right, yeah.
0: There's a there's a, a, a little bit of pressure in his mind, Jake's mind, that he had to uh, come up with a name that with the initials J-R-S. My father was John Richard Sherrington, and Jake is Jacob Richard Sherrington, and there's been a Richard in every generation of Sherringtons going back over 300
1: years. I'm not, I'm not touching that one. Yeah, well, yeah, that, right. that, that's that's too fine. easy of a straight line, but please. No, I know. I, and
0: you guys need to get your minds out of the gutter. Uh,
1: but at any rate,
0: uh, I told him there was no pressure on that. You don't have to do that. And so he didn't. And I was glad that he did. not So at any rate, it's uh it was really fun. I can't wait to get home to see him. Uh, that'll be, that'll be a big moment.
2: Well, congratulations. This does also, I'm really happy for you. And we got a nice picture of miles Atticus. Um, even with our poor reception in the woods. So it was, it was a beautiful baby. Um, yes. And uh, it also settles a big argument in our house because my wife was sure that you had named Miles Atticus for um, Miles Andrus, not for you. So. Oh, my gosh. Um <laughs>
0: no. I can yeah, now you know, explain uh, to Gina that it's uh, your
2: middle name. I never knew yeah. your middle name
0: was Miles. <laughs> yeah, you know, if I had thought about it a little bit more, I would have uh, dropped to Kevin when I became a sports writer. And that's a better byline, Miles Sherrington than uh, Kevin Sherrington. There's
1: still time. Yeah, well, reinvent you yourself. You know, late.
0: Yeah. Right here at the very end. Somebody might even notice it. You know, it's like, who's, <laughs> who's, who's
1: well, Kevin I don't know.
0: Sherrington anyway? I mean, who was that guy? <laughs> well, uh, Thank right. Miles Sherrington is a good name. David, what do
2: you do on New Year's Eve?
1: I, one, I have been in New Orleans for a Sugar Bowl on New Year's Eve before. Tell you how far back it was. It was Syracuse and Auburn, if you remember the tie game. Why would you even have gone to that game? Because that's when the morning news covered every bowl game. (laughs) Every single one, every sub-regional in the final four. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the local appeal to Syracuse-Auburn, I don't know how high it was when I went, but I certainly had a good time. Uh, went to two Jacks on uh, Christmas Eve, I mean, uh, New Year's Eve, and had a very nice time. Yeah. But yeah, but, but yeah it's uh, Chris, right. N- New Year's Eve still does not compare to the end of Mardi Gras. Yeah. There is, I'm sure it, it's not. I'm sure it doesn't, I'm sure it doesn't, but
0: it, it was at least a little kind of taste of it. So, uh, it's oh, I did not
1: I, do that this time to answer Evan's question. I finished, uh, I power watched uh, the, the fourth season of Slow Horses on Apple TV and finished watching that. That's Slow right, because you horses. didn't have a
2: football game, you had your football game I did while, not. on the
0: 30th, yeah, had it on Saturday,
1: yeah. Wow, outstanding, right. it's outstanding.
0: I'll have to check that out. Uh, we we don't You need to. So,
2: hey, you so know who works. played in the Sugar Bowl that I covered? Georgia, Georgia Walker, Deion Sanders. Really? really? Yeah, I covered Florida State and Auburn. Oh, wow.
0: How about that,
2: Deion yeah. Sanders? Deion Sanders. He's somewhere now, isn't he? I, I I've heard that. Yeah. I'm Somebody good. here said he was doing a good job, and I I was like, let's let's reserve judgment on Dion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that's how you're always backwards. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for that uh, opening segment. Now we're going to do it for. Oh, I thought that was going to do it for the podcast. No, no, no. We had lots to talk about here. (laughs) The Cowboys are suddenly in first place with a uh, on their way through a a home schedule of the playoffs. If uh, if it breaks that way, but at least they get to start at home, which is really one of the more phenomenal uh, developments. Of the of the old year that just passed, I think uh, I didn't think there was any way that that could possibly happen that they would end up in first place ahead of the Eagles uh, because of the two teams' um, finishing schedules, and the Eagles have just basically folded up uh, here. Uh, we're going to talk about, the, of course, the uh, all of that, and as well as the uh, the Cowboys victory over the Lions that was uh, with a little uh, gift from uh, Brad Allen's crew uh, and uh, what all that means. And we're also going to talk about officiating in the NFL now, which I, I think uh, really deserves some uh, intense scrutiny from the league. They really need to rethink how they're doing all of this in an era where there is so much money being bet on these games with all the angles and replays you can see and all the mistakes uh, just, just to preserve the integrity of the of the league and its officiating, there are going to be all kinds of accusations now, and you, you, they, they just can't stand that. But we're, but first, before we get there, we're going to talk about the Cowboys' win over the Lions. Uh, so, David, um, and as you wrote, that the, the the Cowboys won, and that was a, a big win for them. And that, and the Lions are a good team; they've got a lot of good players. You know, you you watch that game, and I'm I'm kind of amazed. You, you see you know, where they've been bad for so long, you see where all those great picks came from and you can see why they're so good now. Right. These were, yeah. these were a lot of really talented players.
1: A lot of, uh, outstanding, uh, elite talent on both sides of the ball for them. Uh, yeah to, to go back to your original point though, to, let's take it back a, a couple of weeks here. If, if you would have said in, in early December that in the final three weeks before the final week of the regular season. If you would have said in those three weeks that Dallas would have lost back-to-back games for the first time in two years and needed a referee's or an official's interpretation to hold on for a victory at home in week 17, and that stretch allowed the Cowboys to take control of the NFC East, uh, I think you would have questioned whether or not marijuana was actually uh, okay to use in Texas at that point. Uh, that's just a scenario that no one envisioned. But uh, to come out of that stretch, and now you're presented with, look, you win, you're the number two seed, and you're assuring yourself at least two home games uh, You know, before the uh, NFC Championship game, if you can get that far just a dramatically different feel going into this final week than if Dallas would have lost at Detroit, um, would have had a three-game losing streak, uh, basically relegated themselves, while still a chance to win the division, still would have basically relegated themselves to a number 5 seed and no games at home. So, dramatic difference, and it makes a big difference to Detroit too, right? Because Detroit could have basically like could have locked down the number two seed with the win, and now they're pretty much frozen out of it. And if them and Dallas finish with the same record, Dallas still finishes ahead of them. So, David, can you
0: go over for us a little bit here uh, uh, about how this could break down? Obviously, so in the in the, if they beat uh, uh, Washington in this last game, they will clinch that second seed. As you said, they will clinch the division, um, and then they would, as it sits right now, they would play. Who in the first round of the playoffs?
1: Well, that's still I, I hate to say any one team. It's either gonna be it's either gonna be the Rams, Seattle, or Green Bay, is what it appears right now. Uh they will they will face these, you know, they will face the uh uh the the the, the last seed as the two seeds. So right. whichever's the last team in is the one that they face because uh San Francisco which locked down the number one seed in the NFC in Baltimore, which is locked down the number one seed in the AFC. They are the only teams that get a bye in the first round. Every other yeah. team must play in the wildcard round. So Dallas would play, but they would host the lowest ranked team. Uh, so whichever one of those three, and there's still so many things in play. I hate to say one or the other at this point, but uh, sure. uh, it, that's, that's still all in play. There's several things that have to happen to determine which one of those does it. But but Dallas is, Dallas is pretty concrete. When they're in, they're the number two seed and win the division. Even with a loss, if Philadelphia loses again, and I don't believe we can rule out that scenario based on how that team is unraveling. Uh, with a Philly loss, Dallas also locks up the division as well. So uh, Dallas has a, a lot of things working in their favor going to this final game. And, and And it was unexpected based on really where they were even going into the Detroit game.
0: Yeah, the the decline of the Eagles is just really uh, something to watch. You know, earlier in the season when they were barely winning games, squeaking out games at the end, and, and it just seemed like wow, they're just living right. Uh, but it did kind of give you some pause. It did make you think that. The Eagles aren't quite as good as they have been and uh, certainly as they were last But
1: then year. they had that real difficult stretch and they still found all, found a way to hold on and win a close yes. game against Kansas City and, and some other tough teams. And then they lost to Dallas and you went, yeah, but they just concluded the most difficult part of their schedule and they only lost one game. So they're fine. They, it, it's hard to see this thing, you know, imploding on them. Uh, but what I think they've lost four or five now. And uh, it, it's beyond the losses. You can just tell from the, uh, the body language and the interactions between the game that uh, – during the game between the players uh, that, that it's just not right there right now.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, I, I don't know that Howie Roseman has a quick trigger uh, with uh, coaches. Maybe so. I guess I'm trying to think back here. I guess there have been uh, some quick changes. I, I think if this thing bottoms out for the Eagles – and if they're a one and done, um, I could see him making a, a move from Nick Sirianni. I think there's some – there's enough – you get the idea there's enough displeasure in the locker room uh, there, uh, and there, are, there is a lot of pointing of fingers, uh, that type of thing. Uh, and I think, you know and – and I've given Roseman all the, the props in the world for the, his work as a general manager. But he let a lot of players go, and they were relying on some young guys to step up on their defense in particular – and it didn't work. You know, then they, they made some moves. that even, you know, uh, fired the defensive coordinator and, and midstream and uh, and tried to make that work. And, and it's only gotten worse um, yep. for them. So I do think the Cowboys, uh, you know, my bottom line on all this now is that I think the Cowboys can beat anybody in the NFC except for the 49ers. Yep. Uh, uh, that, that's a valid stance. Sure. Yeah. That's a pretty, and, that's a pretty sig- significant exception. It is, you know, that's a, it's like, oh, that's a great thing, except for that one team that's standing right in front of you at the end. But except I, I for that would, one
2: team that will ultimately, well, I guess if they get to the 49ers and they get to a championship game, right, that that constitutes a level of
1: Well, and what happens progress. in the game the week before that San Francisco has, if Dallas gets that far, and it's, okay, well, McCaffrey rolled his ankle in the third quarter and he's not right. quite right, or Debo Samuel – who plays so physical is hurt again, or, um, yeah, yep. You know, Purdy's shoulder rolled out on him, but he popped it back in. He'll be fine for the game. I mean, you know, the 49ers play very physical and, and we don't talk about it a lot, but even from this point forward, titles are often determined by usually determined by health. Uh, people don't like to talk about it too much, but that is still the overriding. Uh, if you ask any coach, well, what do you want going at the start of the postseason? I believe every single one of every one of them would tell you a healthy team. Yeah. And, and by and yeah. large, Dallas is a healthy team right now. The injuries they suffered were early in the season. Uh, they've had a chance to work through how they're going to play, and they're not having to do anything on the run. Having said all that, that can change in the blink of an eye, right? Uh, Bradley Chubb in M- Miami is a reminder of that uh so yeah it's still a fine line and and the other thing very quickly before we keep talking about this game and and what's ahead um and, and we've mentioned this before on the podcast we've talked about how a big part of the reason for the Cowboys lack of postseason success over several decades was they just didn't put themselves in the conversation year in and year out you know there's that like nine-year period with Jason Garrett where they were like an every-other-year team. they would make the playoffs, and then the next year they wouldn't. Then they'll make it again. They were just kind of a cork on the ocean, you know, bobbing up and down. Well, the thing is, if you, when you put yourself in the mix year in and year out, you don't just capitalize on what you're doing. You're capitalizing on what other teams don't. And to me, the Philadelphia is a great example. No one saw this even through mid-November that this would happen. But if Dallas was having one of those seasons where they're right around 500, they wouldn't have been able to capitalize on this, right? It still would have been Philly or someone else going in there. But the fact they're still at that level, it's also what happens to teams around you, not just what you're doing. And so to me, this, this really illustrates, you know, this is, this is the first time Dallas has won double digits in three consecutive years since the championship run in the 90s and to me this is what good teams in the league do look San Francisco keeps putting themselves up there every year right and you know a lot of times they'll tell you it's not the best team that breaks through and wins it when a team is up there five six straight years but everything just came together at the right time or other injuries Mm -hmm. and that's that's it's, why just being there every year is so important.
2: You put yourself in the tournament and consistently, and, and this is one thing that the NFL does seem to lack, is a number of consistently good teams, particularly on the NFC side right now. Yeah. Um, so would that, it, 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 it gives me two questions, and, and I know we're going to get to officiating it, 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 it at some point. But one... You know, the, for both of you guys, after watching this game, do you feel confident that the Cowboys uh, – you said that the Cowboys can beat anybody except San Francisco. Do you feel confident about the Cowboys with, in a rematch with Detroit? And two, how mu- How what were your judgments or feelings on Detroit going for two in that situation? Well, not one, but three different times, especially when they had to go from
0: eight yards out. Well, let me jump in and just say from my standpoint, the, the thing that gives me pause about the Cowboys is that the offense continues to struggle against good teams. Um, they, they have zero running game. Uh, and and I, I wanted to ask you about that, David, because, you know, this is the thing that, that Mike McCarthy was predicating. Everything he wanted to do this year was that, oh, we're going we're gonna to run the damn ball, as he said, and I'm not interested in lighting up the scoreboard. I want to give my defense a break. Well, the running game has been a disaster this year you know the, I I don't re- recall a time when the running game has been this poor and um, you know I, I want to ask you David first of all I, I don't think it's the right personnel first uh, I don't think Tony Pollard is an every down running back he doesn't have enough pop uh, to to, count, to handle that kind of load you know I'm I'm here with uh, you know uh, Texas and I was talking <clears throat> to Kirk Bowles the other day and I said it reminds me of Eric Metcalf when he was at Texas. You know, they they wanted yeah. to make him into an every down back. And he, that's just not who he was. You know, you, you couldn't just turn and stick the ball in his stomach and say, go get this. You know, Eric w- was the kind of guy who, who could make something really happen. He You know, if he got out in the open, he was gone. But he just wasn't going to move a pile. And, and at some point, your running back has to move a pile. Uh and, and the Cowboys can't do that. So, David, how much of it is that and how much of it is that this offensive line is just not doing a good job in the running game?
1: Well, I I think the offensive line has been inconsistent in the run game, but yeah, you're right. You know, I went back and looked it up Um, actually to start the season and everyone's going, well, you know, Pollard may may not be right coming back off that injury, but you look first three games of the year, he had his only hundred yard game of the year and he had a couple of games over 70 in the last 13 games. Tony Pollard has been held under 60 yards in 10 of the 13 games and he's their leading rusher. Now, when McCarthy talks about running the ball, he's into attempts. Look you always look, you have to have some level of proficiency, right? But I mean, he's really talking about attempts to kind of keep the clock going, balance it, at least give some threat to the to the play action. Uh, that's what he's looking for. He's not looking to be one of the top five rushing teams in the league, but he believes attempts are crucial. Uh, to a successful offense. But but you're right. When you're talking about – yeah, and I agree with you. I think uh, Dallas, to me, is arguably as good as any team in the league right now other than San Francisco and Baltimore. I think those two have elevated themselves over everyone else. I think you can make a stronger argument for Dallas is the top of that next tier as any other team in the league right now. I really do. But now what would prevent them from achieving that – Level of success in competing with San Francisco or Baltimore, is the run game is just not as strong as you want it to be, especially going into the postseason. Uh, that has to be the emphasis. As, as Mike McCarthy said, the as Mike McCarthy said to start this week, the playoffs do have already started for them. Uh, Washington is a playoff game with what's on, at stake here and what it means, uh, and they need to get this run game in gear quickly. You're not going to see a dramatic improvement in it but it has to be more effective than it's been. Um, you have to be able, in these close games, to, to milk some clock. And, you know, it's still – I maintain, too, if Dallas would have run the ball better, I don't know that they would have lost to Miami 22-20. I think they would have won that game. So I think that is their – you know, offenses aren't going to score as much. The fact that they, they had a chance to beat the high-scoring team on the road in Miami – only scoring 20 points, and then they scored 20 points at home against Detroit really doesn't bother me uh, because those are better teams, and, and now they've shown they can win a game where they're not explosive and everything's going right for them offensively. So I think that's important. But to consistently win those games against the top teams, you have to run the ball better, and, and to me that's the issue. And, um, yeah, this this offensive line has has had erratic performances even from some of their better players.
2: But who couldn't I mean, guys, who could not have seen this being an issue? Did we not debate this sure. at this point in time at the start of the season? That look, from from last year, when we all thought that Ezekiel Elliott had, you know, basically he was three yards in a cloud of dust at that point in time, that he wasn't the explosive runner that the that the Cowboys
1: wanted, and that Pollard had that ability. But but We all talked about him in the red zone. Yeah, about his importance in the red zone. And you're seeing that now. Their red zone numbers is efficiency in scoring touchdowns, especially inside the five-yard line, is down. They're one of the worst teams in the league from there because you can't just hand it to Ezekiel Elliott knowing no matter how much traffic and how many bodies are down there, he's still going to get you two to three yards. They don't have that back right now, and it's hurting them in those situations.
0: Yeah, I, I would uh, I would think that uh, going into next season, uh, there should be a good chance they should spend a, a draft pick on a good back. I mean, I, I, oh, they a, a will. Second, I'm really surprised
1: round. they didn't this year. I'm really surprised they did in this draft. I, yeah. I think it's imperative coming out of uh, 2024 that they get it back in the first uh, couple of days. Oh, yeah. No question about that. Second day, probably, I would say.
0: Oh yeah, and,
1: and that's the thing. You you don't
0: have to go out. You don't have to spend a first round pick on a running back, or even no. a second round pick. You can get a, a nice back in the third back round. Back in the or, third, yeah. You know, and, and just get a guy that, they just need a guy with a little size. You know, they they from Tony on back to even Rico Dowdle. He's a violent runner, but he's still not a very big guy. And Deuce yeah. Vaughn is even smaller than that. So it's it's not. Uh, they don't present any options at, at, at the running back position. I think that's the, to me, that was the big flaw in the construction of this. That's a great point.
1: As versatile as they are offensively, when you look at how interchangeable all the receivers are, how they use the tight ends, how they run them out of different formation groups to kind of confuse a defense, they don't really have a versatile rushing attack. In fact, which is why some of their better runs are when they run C.D. Lamb on the end around, or you know, or, or Turpin they've done before. I mean, they're they're looking for other ways to get guys involved in the run game because they just don't have the pop and explosiveness they need so far.
0: I will say this: uh, before we get to uh, the officiating, we want to talk about in the in the, the two point plays with the Lions, um, the, uh, the the ability of Dak Prescott. Uh, to get out and get uh, away from trouble. You know, he looked so bad early in the season when they played the 49ers. He looked so bad physically in that game, looked slow, looked old. I just thought, and I even wrote that, that, you know, if if you're going to pick a quarterback here, you'd want Brock Purdy. He's the future. Dak looked like he was on a downhill slope. And since then – he looks like a different quarterback. That that play where he got out of the end zone, escaped the safety, and throws the ninety-two yard touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb—that's about as good as you could ever expect Dak to play. Uh, that easily and, could have been a safety. Easily, oh, absolutely. Could have been a safety. Absolutely, and that's those are the kind of plays that make your legend, right? When you well, and not just not just
1: play. not just doing it, but that was a really good throw on the run too. Absolutely, uh, Mike McCarthy was talking about that. It just wasn't the fact he escaped and was still able to complete it, look at how he completed it. That is the ideal throw on the move at the angle he threw it to get a guy in stride when you're under that sort of duress. Yeah, so
0: he's he's doing what he needs to do. He's putting up the numbers now, and he is, and he's winning these games, uh, or at least he, he started again with the, the Lions, and he has over the course of the season. Dak Prescott is not the problem for the Cowboys uh, at this point. Uh, I don't think the fans should have any kind of complaints about him. He's doing a good job. Uh, to me, it's a question of whether they can put their running game together because I do think their defense is good enough as long as they don't get bullied too much uh, and we can see whether Jonathan Hankins will play and the difference he makes in the in the defensive line and stopping the run. So those will be really issues. So let's get into here real quick here about this at the end of the game, David. Uh, do you think that the NFL uh, got that right uh, with the decision that was made and then the explanation from the NFL, which was basically, well – you got a little too cute there, uh, Dan Campbell, uh, with that with that play, and you were checking in, and it, and
1: that's on you. You think Dan Campbell and and the Detroit front office are fine with that explanation? <laughs> I think God, I think that
0: was a real cop out on their part. I do think they got too cute, but still, you should you should expect that official is going to get that right.
1: Yeah, and, and you know. <laughs> The the cowboys look the the cowboys heard and they were actually the players were talking about they thought it was 70 not 68 they heard 70 they were told them so it's like they focused on them and so when uh you know 68 flashed out there in fact Jordan Lewis was saying let him go let him go uh so they were you know they were doing what the official said i i, I find it interesting Again, the Cowboys weren't there when they were reporting in, but the Cowboys were very quickly say, yeah, but let's go back to that previous series where Peyton Hendershot was called for tripping on Hutchinson. Clearly Hutchinson would tripped Peyton Hendershot and they got that call wrong. So, you know, that that series would have played out differently and Detroit never would have gotten the ball back because Dak wouldn't have thrown long on second down and we would just run out the clock and and whenever you so quickly jump to a mistake that's made before a crucial call to avoid talking about the crucial call, I think it's it's, it's an admission that, yeah, the, the officials got it wrong. I, I feel the officials got it wrong. With the understanding that clearly Detroit was trying to obscure the situation and confuse them. And if you want to take this to absurd extremes and say, should the league do anything here? I would say maybe the league should say, Well, you can't have two and three players go up and one of them reports to purposely confuse the defense. Only one player can go in and report. Because if you don't do that, what's to keep a team in that situation again from sending all 11 players to circle the the referee, have one of them report, and then break and go immediately to the line? You know? So... Um, I think there's some simple ways to address this, but yeah, the, the, the NFL initially and in its comments were not too tolerant of saying, no, there was an egregious error here. It was just like, and eh, Detroit, you got a little cute, you know, you're playing fast and loose and it came back to bite you. Yeah. yeah well, that's uh, not acceptable to me. I'm sorry, no, no, and, and, no. and I agree with you. I agree with you completely. But but that's basically the league stance, and they're trying to get off of it from that, you know. But Be- yeah. before we talk I mean, about
0: that thing, I do want to say that uh, just one thing about Dan Campbell. This is the kind of stuff that's going to get you fired, you know. You know, I know Dak Prescott said after the game, "The guy's crazy," and I love it. I love that he did this, and players do love that. Players would all they always say they want you to go for it on fourth and whatever, and and, and, and make the crazy play because that means he believes in us. But at some point, you keep going to that well, like Dan Campbell did three times, going for that two point conversion. That's the kind of stuff that gets you fired in the end. You know, you at some point you just you've got to take the safe route and not do the crazy stuff.
1: In, in the end, is fine. Right now. I think we would all agree that the Detroit franchise, after the last three decades, needed some shock therapy, and I think Dan Campbell has given them that. I think he's, you know, he's shaken them out of their lethargy. There's an excitement there. Sometimes you have to be over the top when a team is mired in so much dysfunction for so long. But you're right. Over time, you have to adapt that, right? That's what they need now. That's the approach they need right now in this moment. But if we're still having this conversation two and three years from now, it's not going to serve Dan Campbell or the franchise well.
2: There was a time when they needed balls more than they, because wins weren't going to be very realistic. Now that wins are realistic, I'd I'd rather be known as a winner than having big balls. And that's, you know, that's what, Ultimately, I mean that's the 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 um, that's my biggest issue with with this Lions performance is they should have kicked on the first play um, when they had the penalty and were moved back. They should have kicked on the second attempt for sure. Um, and then when they got to the third attempt, uh, you would think at some point in time they'd say. We better just cut our losses here and, and and get out of here with a tie and regroup for the last two minutes.
0: Yeah, no question about it to me. All right, let's talk a little bit about the fish shading here because this has been a bugaboo for me uh, for a while now, uh, and I have to tell you, the changes that that baseball made this season, uh, I thought were a resounding success. Uh, that you know, with the, the pitch clock. And these other other things, I still I still don't like the ghost runner or zombie runner. I still think that's bogus. Uh, but I think that baseball, which is the one sport really usually stuck in its past and really re- resistant to change, if baseball showed is willing to embrace something new and if and improve the sport tremendously in the process, uh, then the NFL should do that. And the and there are so many things wrong to me with uh, the way games are officiated. From the standpoint of starting with the fact that that officials are, are only part time employees um, and then you then you go from there when when things are, are going on the field and where the ball's set, where the ball's placed. It's always a joke to me. We we, we get out there. It, I thought this when I was a little kid. You get these chains out there and you're measuring whether, oh, my gosh, it's an inch or another inch. And meanwhile, every other time the ball is spotted, the guy just runs up there and puts it down. You know, uh, and, and where's that, where was the science in any of that? And we, we have the ability to, to fix a lot of these things. We, we can put chips in balls. We can put chips in guys' uniforms and, you know, we, we could do all kinds of, you can have lasers out there. There are all kinds of things you can do. And especially in an era where we see sanctioned betting on these games, there's going to be so much more money on games than there used to be that, uh, it, it's it's going to lend to questions about your integrity and your credibility, and the NFL can't afford that. And so you can't just simply say, "Oh well, that's just the breaks of the game." You know, it's like when the a couple of years ago when the, the the refs completely whiffed in the championship game on the uh, the pass interference play, right? And and it keeps the and it keeps the Saints out of the New Orleans, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, out of the Super Bowl. I mean, really. Think if that had happened to the Cowboys. If that had happened to the Cowboys, you, you don't think we wouldn't have been talking about that for the next millennium about how they got ripped off of a. Well, Super Bowl we're still
2: talking that? about Des caught it, so the caught, yeah, still the um, catch. So, yeah. but listen, Kevin, before we even get to technology, right? I mean, let's start with the human element of it. And there's a really easy—I don't know if it's a—if it's a complete fix, but I think it certainly would create more accountability. And would give you um, more management, and that is that NFL officials, guys, right, are still part-time employees. Um, That should not be the case. These guys should be full-time employees. They should be employees of the league, and it should they should fall under the league auspices. They should have to report, basically, to a league. I, I don't know what the right what the right term is, but you at least have some accountability. If, if these are full-time employees of the league. And that, to me, would seem to be the easiest place to start. Then you get into the element of, of technology and what you can do with with chips and the balls and, and, and light beams and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, I just I, I look at all this and, and I see, you know, look, it, it, there's always a matter of judgment on all of this stuff, right? Is this a hold? Is it not a hold? I mean, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's more difficult than any sport because there's so much going on. There's so many players on the field at any given time, and there's so much action going on. But there's also so many times when there's just stuff happening, and it it's pretty obvious to everybody. I I think probably at some point they need to consider the possibility that, you know, you can't challenge it when there's not a penalty call, right? You know, there's not a penalty. This should have been a penalty. I think they should they should give a team that option in a game, maybe once, a, uh, once or twice each half. That we, we we want to challenge this play. We think there was a penalty here. We're challenging this. You know, I think that should be a, a possibility. That certainly would have been a, would have rectified what happened in the, in the New Orleans game when they were denied a Super Bowl appearance. You know, there there should be some kind of recourse for that kind of thing when you get so much wrong. Uh, and I don't know how you fix it. You know, like I said, when uh, oh is this going to be a hold or not? But you know, uh, in the in the Miami game, what we David there was a play where. Where two cowboys were tackled, uh you know, on yep. one play uh, on the same play, and there was no call. How does that happen? Where, where two guys are literally taken to the ground, and there is no flag on that play. That that's just it. It it to me, it boggles the mind to think that an official is not seeing that and thinking that.
1: No, I'm just going to let that go. I, that doesn't work for me. Well, this again, these you can take this conversation in so many different directions and where, where I struggle with it is, you know, I, I've been told that the Bill Belichick, New England coach for years in the league meetings, uh, he used to do this and now he just doesn't anymore. But, you know, every year at the league meetings in March uh, the coaches will break out and they'll talk about, you know, what they want done. And they'll send it up the chain to the, uh, you know, general managers and then send it up to the, owners who will just say, no, we're not going to do that usually a lot of times, or they do it after the fact. But, you know, they start talking about officiating every year and how many challenges and what you should do, what you should do, uh, technologies, impact, and all of this. And, and Bill Belichick, I've been told, used to get up in those meetings every year and go, well, don't we want to get every play right? If we want to get every play right, we have instant replay on every single play correct so that's that's the thing you know that's the thing Wh- whatever rule changes you make however much technology intrudes and you use to enhance officiating the sport where do you stop and as soon as you go to one area doesn't open does it, open it, does, it o- does it open the door to another Uh, The whole interpretation of a catch, the whole interpretation, the tuck play, going back to, uh, you know, that that play with Tom Brady against the the Raiders in New England. Uh, When is it a tuck? When is it a forward path? All of this. um, As soon as you get to one point to officiate or legislate it, isn't there another point just behind that on, well, don't you need to keep going? So it's never going... Everyone just needs to accept it's never going to be a perfect or ideal system. To me, what's interesting is, and I think it's resonating more this year because so many of these calls have come late in the game. And so they've you, you attach more weight to them emotionally and, and also on the outcome. What is an official's charge late in the game? Are they being more officious or are they making more calls because they're concerned that – well, this is glaring, you know, this is going to show us up later, I mean, because are they interpreting or being over-officious late in games in order to cover their butt? And is that leading to more of these situations late in games? I I think that would be pretty interesting. And that's a a difficult thing to bore down to and, and get kind of honest answers on what's going on.
0: Yeah, I I just I I, I get the point. And like I said, I I realize how uh, difficult it is in football, especially. Um, But I got to tell you, um, I just think that there are or I think we're just seeing I don't know why else we would think that there are more problems. I mean, there's always been questions about officiating, obviously, and uh, over the years, but I don't recall a time where it was uh, this. big. I think part of it is social media. I think part of it is is that we're more aware of everything now than we used to be. And so these things do get blown up because of that. Uh, and When uh, someone
1: in the stands can get an, an angle
0: that sure, the technology absolutely. on the
1: field doesn't get. And then that yeah. goes out there and you go, oh, wow, look at this. All right. that, that's true. And I, and
0: I do believe that. But, I, you know, our old buddy Tim Callahan, you know, remember when he used to write that he was a, against instant replay? You know, he, he used to say that they shouldn't even have it. Like, you know, there was – it was going to slow down the games too much. And we well, just he's a need- Neanderthal, but yeah, he is a Neanderthal. Yeah, there's no question about that. But I just don't. Uh, I, I just think that uh, th- there needs to be uh, a committee to set to step aside and say, uh, I, I know they already have committees, but I think they need a special one on this. I think they need one to say we need to look at all of this. Let's consider all the possibilities here about what we might do to improve this situation. And obviously, it's not going to come uh, into effect for 2024. That that'll that'll be something that has to to go into effect for twenty twenty five at the earliest. But I do think it requires someone with technology to come forward and to say that you know what maybe we don't we don't need chain gangs anymore. You know how, how ancient is that in the in the cha- in the semifinal game here last night? I thought it was hilarious. You know I'm just eyeballing the uh, the spot of the ball at one point, and they said that they're calling for the chains. And I thought, well, you know what. I'm wearing glasses, and I'm a mile up here at the top of the Superdome, but I can tell from here that that ball is about a yard short of a first down, and they run their little chains out there like it's 1954, and they put it down and say, okay, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah you, you noticed something else
1: in the game too, didn't you, Evan?
2: I did. I mean, there was um, there was one instance where the officiating crew had to, had to call an official timeout, because the rubber stopper at the end of one of the yard markers fell off. And, of course, ESPN got great camera work and got down there uh, instantaneously to see the official then grabbing for the stopper, only to have him kind of nudge it away further. And then when he went to go pick it up a second time, at that point in time, the chain, the literal chain, fell off the bottom of the yard marker. So yeah, some of this stuff is not is not super, super high tech. And I, I you, you almost wonder, you know, here's the thing, Kevin. And you you just talked about the the spot, um you could see the spot from the press box at the Superdome. We all at home, with the yellow line imposed, yeah. can clearly see oh he's a yard short. I mean he's a good yard short. And you almost wonder if they've got that technology for TV there ought to be a way to have that beam basically superimposed on the field so that the players know exactly where they've got to reach
1: yes. Yeah, and here, here, here's another one i think this and this was this this goes to the chip in the ball too there was the the washington quarterback on that drive where they went up late in the first in the second quarter I believe you go 21 you know 14 um his feet and body were clearly past the line of scrimmage when he threw right and when they reviewed it and by the college rule it's like well no but if any part of him is behind the line of scrimmage he's not beyond it and are you really trying to tell me that both feet almost all of the torso can be there but the arm and the ball is just far enough behind the line where that was good and when they reviewed it they said oh no that pass stands you know ruling on the field now that's an example to me of a chip in the ball tied to the technology of where you are in the field because can you really truly especially on a rule like that where you say well all your body can be past the line but as long as the ball's behind the line when you throw it it's okay
0: I yeah, mean, that's, that's, just, well, that's just a bad those rule. Those are some
1: bizarre ones, you know. Just, that's are, just
0: a bad rule. There's no question yeah. about that. You're right. That's it was a about, really bad rule. Well, that's same thing. Yeah, Michael Peg, who, who, by the way, played an unbelievable outstanding. game. Yeah, outstanding,
1: yeah. My gosh,
0: the balls he was throwing, it wasn't like, you know, it was you know, pitching, you know, uh, running after the catch either. He's throwing rainbows and putting a dime on these guys. I couldn't believe how well he threw the ball. And even when they, Even when Texas had good coverage, he was beating the good coverage. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a
1: quarterback play such a great game in such a big game. And, and throwing I, on I've the move, too, I heard scouts, I'd heard scouts question his ability consistently to throw well on the move. That was not an issue last night. He was moved off his spot and was making great throws. I'm sorry. Uh, I've, not
2: seen, I've not seen a quarterback, particularly in a college game, throw that many deep balls with that degree of accuracy. And, you know, I mean, there were some, what, 10 to 20-yard completions where he really had to deliver the ball on a spot in a, in a very narrow area, and he got it there every time. It was it was as impressive of a passing performance by a quarterback as I can recall seeing, you know, in, in a college football game.
0: Yeah, and, and that was the unfortunate thing for Texas uh, because Quinn Ewers, uh, and he has a tendency to do this at times, started slow uh he, he missed his first four passes and they were they weren't even close
2: Kevin uh, I'll be honest I thought as, when he went zero for four on that first possession the first thing I thought about was you and that your you know, your take is that there's basically but you a- often go
1: over four I think, is what he was thinking. Is that-
2: <laughs> yeah, that yeah. you're a big miss, too. But I mean, you 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 are a pretty good evaluator of quarterbacks and you have talked about the hit and miss nature of viewers. And I I, I almost wanted to tweet at that point in time that, look, th- this is a really bad indicator for Texas because of this guy's kind of hit and miss nature and he did not look good on any of those first four throws and I think he struggled pretty much all game
0: with it he did and then he he got going and that, and that's what I I give him all the credit world you know you you hear coaches say that oh well I admire our fight and all of that and and uh and look especially on a deadline like that one uh, I don't want to complain about uh what we have to do for our jobs but I had to pretty much hit the button at the end of that game. I had the entire column essentially written. And then with one second left in the game, (laughs) they are about to win this game, right? And had they won that game and I had to hit the button at that point,
1: I would have been fired for what I had written.
0: (laughs) So, you know, it it was, I I, I didn't know what to
1: think. Consumers don't realize that either. There are so many of those games throughout, in all of these sports throughout our careers, there's like, what you have to write because the deadline changes in a minute and and just the idea of what what you could read uh, oh my gosh well I, I,
0: look and i'll just i'll just uh, tell you know the listeners that I, I bet on Michael Penix. After watching him for three quarters, I bet on Michael Penix. I thought this guy is not going to lose this game. You know, yeah. I, as as well as yours, no your way he loses play. this game. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. And then it goes down. And I, I got to tell you, I, I still have not. I've seen the replay several times, but they never slow it down. I don't know why they don't slow it down. But when when Ad Mitchell uh, goes to the to the right corner there, and and yours puts the ball right where it has to be. It's a great throw. And Mitchell is 6'4". He's a big receiver, and that's why they go to him in the end zone. And he just didn't get up for the ball. It looked like he had was almost falling. And meanwhile, uh, Elijah Jackson, the uh, uh, the Washington defensive back, he really got up in the air, got up over the top of him and swatted the ball away. But that ball was going to be in you know Mitchell's hands. It was right there. Mitchell was asked that, did you think you were going to catch it? He said, yes, I thought I was going to catch it. You know, he said, I thought we were going to catch it, and we were going to win the game, and, you know, we're going to be playing, you know, Michigan in the uh, national championship game the next week, and Jackson makes a play for the ages. I got to say, you know, that was uh, a wildly entertaining game, uh, it, it, just from the standpoint of Pennix playing so well, and yet the and for the fact that he, he really outplayed Quinn Ewers, uh, and yet Texas was right in it at the very end, basically because they, they handled – uh, Washington's running game did a great job with that.
1: Um, and and uh, and the two was entertaining were games. Though, they were both but, entertaining games, right? Yesterday, yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: they, they were both wildly yeah. entertaining games. And, and listen, Washington has that situation where um, the running back Johnson goes down and they don't get the, 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 the runoff. Yeah. And yes. right. you know, if they do that, then Texas is burned. It, it, just so many things happen, and I, I literally. You know, of, of course, I got a text from daughter Natalie um, as soon as the game was over, and she was texting me how painful it was, and, and my heart was literally racing in that last minute. You know the kind of the kind of heart pounding you get when you're like really invested in a game, kind of as a fan and not as a journalist. And it was a, a, a wholly entertaining experience from really from start to finish because of the big plays, um, because of the big gains and you know coming off of, of of another of a game previously that literally went down to the last play so uh, it was a great day of college football and we can sit here and debate committee committee this committee that and hopefully next year we won't have the same debates because of the 12 team playoff but if if their job was to put together you know two great semifinal games i find um that the biggest issue is that they just couldn't find a way to shut Danny Cannell up. That's the biggest (laughs) issue I have. That guy is such a buffoon. I'm so tired of him, but the committee put together two great college football games. We haven't had that kind of new year's day, uh,
1: semifinal in
2: a while. You know, I mean, any of these four, you can see any of
1: these four truly winning it. Right. And how many years have you said, well, any of these four teams has a good shot to do it. This is one of the more even ones in a long, long time.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be like that going into the to the day. I thought that yeah. all all four of those teams had had a chance to win. Uh, I didn't, and to me, that was the reason why Florida State was didn't deserve yeah. it. I didn't feel like they had a chance to win it. And you, we can talk about how many guys they lost and all of that, but Georgia stomped the living daylights out of them, and uh, and I think that you know that that was a kind of a, a clue of the fact that they weren't prepared for that kind of game. You know, in in the first semifinal game, the Alabama, Michigan, I thought, you know, it was one of those games where it really was not played well for about, you know, I don't know, a half. There was a lot of really goofy things. I thought that Jalen Milro uh, for all the 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 advancements he'd made over the course of the season, went back to the way he looked early in the season and against Texas. But and, he was and-
2: he also Kevin for me was a quarterback in a, in a lot of ways like yours was this year. That there were there were games when Milro made a lot of great plays, and there were plays where it was like Alabama. There were games where Alabama looks exceptionally beatable. The,
0: and, and a lot of that was driven by how Milrow played each week. Absolutely. Well, that, the whole thing about the center snaps all of a sudden, it's like the ball's all over the place. The poor, I, I just felt sorry for the guy. Uh, it, it's like I can't imagine what he said to Nick Saban or what Nick Saban said to him before and that. Because even the last play, can you believe the last play? It's like why in the world are you running him back into the line yeah. on that play? And why did Milrow even do it? I mean, if, if the ball been snapped to me and I looked up and that's what's in front of me, I'm I'm going the other direction. But you he know, had I he also had the
2: game. defensive end coming off the corner there with with nobody. It, it, there were, it was just once he got that ball, I feel like it was a no win situation for him. But the damnedest thing about it, right, is Michigan had been the team that had lost the center, right? Michigan yeah. lost yeah. Uh, lost its center in the Big Twelve cha- in the Big Ten championship game, and Alabama was the one that had the problem with all the snaps. Um, Special teams were interesting in both <laughs> games. Um, I don't want to rip on the Michigan player, uh, the, the returner, who dropped the ball at the five-yard line. I do oh, want to okay, ask, run. did anybody ask Steve Sarkeesian? I guess not, because it, it, in, in retrospect, it's such a minor detail. But why is a guy back there to return a punt wearing a full cast? <laughs> I, I i could not get that one like you know you need arms to catch the ball a cast <laughs> is really going to cause a
0: problem there well you know in, in texas particular, in particular right craig curry the muff punt you know in 1983 the, yeah. 19, the 1984 cotton bowl I against mean two. he was not he was, who not was that primary against punt returner you who know? was that against uh that was against georgia thank you uh and and he was not their primary punter trainer and they put him back there in that situation those kind of decisions do drive me crazy and we talked about this yesterday in the press box not only in that game but in the in the uh, sugar bowl why are, are guys fielding punts inside the 5 yard line you know the, the rule used to be you put your toes on the 10 yard line and you don't back up you know and now i realize now that punters have gotten better and you can and that that rule is softened and you could but should it just be the five? Because here's the thing. Even if you catch it on the five, how far are you going to take it? Let's take the chance that this ball is going to go into the end zone and you're going to get it on the 25. Why in the world would you want to risk that? I, I just don't understand it. But wa-
2: Washington also wasn't like clear, uh, you know, Washington in in a lot of ways in those last couple of minutes, there were there would be plenty to for a podcast discussion on that, but the 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 long snapper running in and interfering with the with the with the punt catch, yeah. you know, with under a minute to play. I just like it's like it it almost felt like everything that could create chaos was absolutely happening at that moment. Yeah,
0: no question about. It. Well, I also thought that Caleb DeBoer got a little too cute in the first half. Uh, he, he went down there, you know. It's the, it's 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 the second best run defense in the country on a fourth and one. Uh, we can kick a field goal here instead yeah we're going to run right into the teeth of that and we're going to have our quarterback do it you know i or, the, or the, when they had the, the wildcat you took the best player off the field and put in run the wildcat just kick the the freaking field goal it's it's going to be a close game here and then the game wouldn't have been close at the very end right you know, you had the, those three points. I I just think that uh, there were some crazy things that happened. But before we get out of here, I want to ask you guys. So uh, what I wrote was, I felt like that even though Texas lost, uh, still still a big season for them. Two years ago, they were five and seven, uh, and they got to the to the semifinals. Now they will lose a lot of these guys. Now, they will lose the, those two great tackles, uh, Byron Murphy and uh, Devondre Sweat. Um, I, I tell you what, if the Cowboys could get Devondre Sweat. I think I'd take him uh, if he's available when they pick in the first round. I don't know if he's going to be a first round pick or not. Usually, those big defensive tackles like that don't go so high unless they got a real a pass rush in them. He's got a little bit. He's got some uh, quick twitch in him a little bit. But let me ask you this. So, so going forward, and of course, we still don't know if Quinn Yours is going to come back. That's a possibility that he won't. Uh, should Texas feel good about going to the SEC next year?
2: Should they feel good about going to the SEC? Yeah, I think they should feel good about going to the SEC. I don't know that I I don't know that I will put them favorites. I mean, again, to me, the, the the at this point in time, the two dominant programs in college football are Georgia and Alabama. And so you're going to have to navigate that if you're going to win if you're going to win the SEC. The difference is, you know, next year the tournament's going to be bigger. And 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 so you know the the deal is get to the get to the tournament and uh, as, as we've seen happen with baseball the the larger you make the tournament field you know the more unpredictable things happen so um, I, I don't know I mean I think that they should feel a lot better about going to the SEC than Texas A and M should have felt about when it went to the SEC let's put it that way
0: yeah uh,
1: David. Got any thoughts on that? Well, I think, yeah, Texas this year came back and established themselves that they can once again be among the top teams. But doing that one year and doing it over a five-year period, an eight-year period, are two very different things. And I think it's going to be very difficult next year to, to sustain or build on what they did this season. And then... How does that domino going forward? So I think this is still a crucial time for them. I, I think that uh, I think it's going to be more difficult for them this year because I don't know that week in and week out they're going to be able to get away with the way they performed this year in the SEC. I think it's very clear they won't. Uh, if they were in the SEC this year, do we think they would have gone through with only one loss, the way they yeah. played some of those games? No, I don't no, see
0: you're right. I think you're right.
1: So we'll it's about it. sustaining it now. And I, I'm not sure one season – even for a a a great, you know, program doesn't mean it's back, and we still don't know that Texas is back. In my mind,
2: but uh, uh, Kevin, I want you to address this too. But I mean, for me, the one thing that Texas does have going for it is it has momentum going into the SEC. Yeah. it played in the it played in the tournament. The tournament is getting larger. Um, so there are some there are some things working in Texas's favor to allow for the sustainability. I think your point, David, is great about you know to become a dominant college program, you've got to do it year in and year out. It's why Michigan has surpassed Michigan. Ohio State. Um, you know, it's it, it it's why Georgia and Alabama sit at the top. Where do you yeah. feel like it is, Kevin? Where do you feel like the Texas program is right now as we go into?
0: a wholly different era of college football that's going to be really unpredictable. You know, I got into this uh, discussion with Kirk Bowles, my pal from Austin, who's covered uh, Texas since like, oh, I don't know, 1934 or something. And, and uh, uh, he just didn't really see my point about uh, the fact that I, I still think it's a mistake for Texas to go to the SEC. I think it's a mistake. You know, you proved this year that, if you win your league and you and you play a big game, a non-conference game, and win that game, and you're Texas, you're in, right? Uh, because the, and they beat Alabama. So the next two years they play, or the next four years, they play Michigan and Ohio State twice, you know, over the next four years. You win those games and you're in the Big 12. I don't care what how good the rest of the Big 12 is. You beat Michigan or Ohio State and you win the conference, then you're going to the tournament. Uh, and you don't have to endure those things because what David's point is just is right. It's like when TCU was in the Mountain West and the WAC, you know, they could, you know, there's so many games that they don't get beat up. You know, it's not just the fact that the teams are better; it's that they're so much more physical. And so when you Every week when you're playing a team that's so physical and beats up on you and you're worn down going into the next week and just by the end of a season, it is just a lot harder to do that in the weather, all that. It's not just just not whether you win or lose the game. It's just you're you're so it's the much attrition. More, yeah. Yes, there's you're so much more beaten up. And that's what's going to happen to Texas you know, starting next year. But uh, that's Kevin, you, you, that's,
2: not the, that's not the question you asked us. In, in fairness, that's not the question
0: you asked us. You asked if they should feel good yeah. about going to the SEC. And you're well, answering. I already said they didn't feel good about it. No, I, I think, look, I think they're a good program. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian proved he can do a good job. Now, I will say this you know uh i know that fans are really excited about arch manning coming in and playing uh next year uh, and it was a very small sample size okay five passes but when he was in there he looked like a friend, he looked like a high school quarterback to me he looked like a very talented high school quarterback he did not there wasn't a lot of presence there in those few plays that it, that he was on the field so you need reps I mean, you need reps at this level there's no doubt Well, absolutely you do. And so my, my question, you know, going forward is, is that they better hope that Quinn Ewers comes back. I I think Arch Manning needs uh, another, at least a half year. To me, if you're going to start the season with Arch Manning as your quarterback, I'd be nervous about that. If he comes in, he's the backup quarterback and he comes in the third or fourth game, or if he plays a little bit and then he gets some, some more uh, under his feet and then something happens to Ewers and, and he starts two or three games like what has happened both of the last two years. And then, you know, this last year with Malik Murphy, who's now since transferred to Duke, he came in and won both those games for, for Texas. If Archimani could do that, you know, well then I think that's a good role for him to, to break in that way. I just think it's going to be very difficult to do that. And plus you, you lose both of those big tackles. And to me, that's what made Texas a competitor this year. You, you know, the, that's the thing Texas hasn't had. I was, uh, talking to Kirk about that. I said, how would would you rate Devondre Sweat in all the the, uh, defensive tackles you've seen at Texas? And he said, probably just for what he did in college, Kenneth Sims, number one, Devondre Sweat, number two. So he's the second best tackle uh, that they've had in the last 40 years. Uh, And Byron Murphy is is also really good. Uh, Both of these guys are going to play in the NFL. So uh, that's what you have to have to compete in the uh, SEC, both those guys will be gone. They they do have some nice players. They're backing them up, and they're coming up. But uh, that's going to be a considerable loss. So, and they're going to lose all those those receivers too. You know, uh, Jatavian Sanders at the, the tight end, Xavier Worthy, who didn't particularly play a great game. I didn't think he was much of a factor uh, in the game last night. You know, Ad Mitchell, he's he's leaving too. Uh, Ad Mitchell has caught a touchdown pass now in four consecutive. CFP uh, appearances, you know, playing for Georgia and now for Texas both. Really, really phenomenal kind of record. I think that this is a guy that he's the kind of guy the Cowboys should consider a big receiver, a great target in the, uh, in the red zone.
2: Uh, Well, a guy named for God
0: is a God. (laughs) I mean, seriously, that is Um, true. I it's kinda of, kind of like that the Maverick Assistant Coast God, Sham God. I love that. What a what a great name to, to have. It's like, you know, I I don't even know how I would address him. You know, I you I, I, I I wish he went by his full
2: name. I wish he went by Odd and I. I um but it's, Yeah, I know. Uh,
0: well he does he does a lot. It's listed that way. You can go either way. It's just a question of whether you want to go that far or not. So
2: all right, so before we get out of here, um CFP championship game is the Rose Bowl. What do you got?
0: Uh, you know, I, I, how could you bet against Michael Penix now? I mean, I I do think that Michigan is the is the best balanced team. I thought that going into the tournament, you know, that these of these four teams, they were the best balanced. They good offense, good defense. Uh, Blake Corum is a really good running back. I think JJ McCarthy is a nice quarterback. Uh, and they and they and Michigan does play well on defense. You know, you you saw what they did to Alabama, right? They they really kind of shut down Alabama's offense, and Jalen Milrow has played really well, but if Michael Penix plays anywhere close to the way he played against Texas, I just don't see how Michigan can keep up with him. I mean, that's uh, that was a phenomenal. You know, that wasn't something. It's not a one-time thing. They had the best passing offense in the nation this year, and uh, and Penix showed why that was. Those those throws he made uh, time and time again in that game were just phenomenal. And I don't I don't think there's anything you can do about that. And and his receivers are very good. They're fast. Uh, they got good hands they're big uh that that's a
1: really formidable offense david can michigan steal signs <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know if they i don't know if they can or not i don't think they got any signs off that one i i
2: i'm i'm going to kevin i'm going to echo what you said i mean but the, but the thing for me that needs to be underscored a little bit is that receiving crew that Penix has, um, look, you put a good passer with guys who run good routes, who are fast and who have good hands. You're a really dangerous team. I, I thought, um, is it Odun? Odunza? How do you pronounce yeah, it? Odunza, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he impressed me as much as any receiver I saw, um, all year as well. Uh, so, um, and, and you if, if you listened to the broadcast last night you heard a lot of you heard a lot of the analysts talking about that they preferred Odunza over Odunza, yeah over Harrison over Marvin Harrison so um, I, I I think from my perspective based on what I saw from Washington last night and because I am very anti big Ten just in general I, uh, I think Washington wins the national championship.
1: Yeah, but if Michigan can muck up the game, that's the question, right? Uh, you know, the the Washington has the skill players that attract you and and you lean that direction. And but if Michigan is, shifty, gets a is a really shifty game, runner. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Coram is really good and I, I like him a lot. A little guy, but he's got a lot of power for a little guy. Uh, but the thing about Washington was that's why I thought Texas could win the game. I thought it would be a shootout. I said to somebody before the game, I thought it'd be 42 to 35. Uh, because both Past defenses are, are were actually pretty poor. You know, they, they were they ranked among the the lowest uh, ranked past defenses in the country, both Washington and Texas. Uh, and I think that's going to be the difference for me. Is that um, they they had to take it. Michigan has to take advantage of that. Uh is going to have to really have step up and have a big game for Michigan to win that. But I I and I, it'll be interesting to see how they perform against that and see if they're. they're I think they're. Overall defense is better than Texas is, is. so that that will be a, a factor as well. But I just I just think that you know Penix is he, he even showed demonstrated in, in, in that game that he can get out a little bit. You know he can drift around. That was a big problem for Texas. They got absolutely no pressure on him, none. You know they they forced him out of the pocket a few times, but he would just kind of step out, and a couple of times they looked like he was a he was just toying with them. He was. He would step out and run out a few feet and kind of look around and just stand there. And he was just taking his time. It was like he was just playing in his backyard. It was a, uh, it was a masterful performance for him. And so I, I would expect that uh, that they will come back and do that. And I, I, I guess uh, when's the last time Washington won a national championship? Is that 1983? Does that stick out in my mind? No, 1990. Three, I think. 1990. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, it's been a while. You know. Yeah. Washington is one of the winningest programs in uh, in, the, in the history of college football, and that is mostly because of what they did in the, in the middle part of the last century. Uh, and, of course, that was also the place that Steve Sarkeesian once once worked. Uh, and he didn't win big there. Didn't win big there, didn't win big at USC, had some personal problems. Uh, I, he's starting to work some of that stuff out, and, uh, and I do wish him well the that school. You always got to wish somebody well when they're, they're trying to bounce back from uh addiction problem. So, in, 90, uh, in, 90,
2: in 91, they won the coaches' pool.
0: They did? Yeah. All right. All right. That's going to do it for us. We thank you for listening and, uh, and hope that you'll come back next week. We'll have more to talk about and what the Cowboys are and whether they actually clinch uh, the West, uh, uh, the East. Excuse me. Uh, I got my I think about the I,
2: I will just point out that the Cardinals actually have clinched the
0: East. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It kinda of, kinda of hard to believe this stuff. Yeah. Okay. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thank you and we'll see you next time.